Let me add my welcome to those of you who may be guests or just visiting for a little while. We do this week by week, and we're sitting in our worship planning meeting the other day, and we're reminded, you know, I know everyone that's a member at Fellowship, you know who I am, but there are people sitting near you that don't, perhaps. My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, if, you, if you come next week, you're going to see another person here. That's Rob Sweet, our lead pastor. And uh, we team teach because across the board for us, together is better. And that includes in the pulpit where we want the focus to be on this word and not on any personality or person. And, and quite frankly, can I say this? I love Rob's teach. I want to hear Rob teach. And I, and I know you do. And so we just think it's, we just think it's healthy and good that way. So one one church with these two congregations where we go, <clears throat> excuse me, back and forth. There's a quote you've heard me use a number of times. Uh, it's very difficult to, to get correct attribution, you know, Socrates, others, you know, that gets attributed to, but it's not a difficult quote to grasp. Be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. There's another way I could say it. Um, and this is gonna put us immediately in our context. Be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great storm. Let me tell you about who's in the room. The person sitting in front of you, behind you, to your right or your left the people that are within just, you know, an arm's reach of you. One is in the midst of a financial storm they didn't see coming. One is being crushed by a relational storm that they don't see how it's gonna end well. One is being upended by a physical storm, a medical diagnosis that threatens their life. One's experiencing a storm of crippling doubt and anxiety. One is fighting a storm of loneliness. It's debilitating. One is exhausted from a lifetime storm of family dysfunction and harm. One has lived with the storm of hopelessness for so long they're, they're really numb right now. One is, is being sunk by waves of grief at a loss so great they cannot hold it. One is being capsized by waves of self-loathing and toxic shame. And someone around you has been rowing so hard, they're done and they're ready to give in to the sea. You may say, well, you're about, you're right, that's everyone around me because it's not me, I'm doing great. I don't know if you'd say that. I, I, I would say to you, you may not feel like you're in a storm, but when I read the Bible, I, I believe this, there's not a page in this Bible that's not storm-stained. There's not a person or a story in this Bible that's not, that's not wrestling with a storm. <laughs> I think the Bible says there's a 100% chance of storms in your life and mine. It's, it's a fallen world. Our text today is about a storm. Luke read it. It's a literal physical storm. So we, we're gonna get that. Um, 
in the Sea of Galilee. Rob described it last week, that heart-shaped sea in Israel. You know, it's you know, wider at the top than at the bottom. And in that region, topography, these storms really happen. And they really happen today. It, that you, you could start off in a, in a boat, you know, just leisurely going along and they just sweep in, these winds sweep down and suddenly you're grabbing anything you can to not get thrown from the boat. This is a real storm, but, but like John does, hear me on this, there's more than meets the eye. We're not gonna go into an allegorical look at this, but there's, there's a spiritual reality, right? Under the waterline that this story is expressing. You remember in college, you had, um, especially in the sciences, like biology, you had a lecture and then you also had to sign up for the what? The lab. Last week, Rob covered the lecture. Today, we're in the lab. We're gonna, it's in the lab where you get wet, you know, you get bloody or whatever, even if whatever you're doing. It's, it's where what was talked about in the lecture, you go, is it true? Can I, you know, is this real? Is it true? That happens in the lab. That's where we are today. I hope you do not miss the messages in John because we're going through this book by book, you know, verse by verse. Rob last week covering the first part of chapter six and he summarized it. It's, I, I had a page full of notes watching it, but you know, I'm just gonna summarize it for time and, and, and Rob summarized it in this way. You know, the whole thing is saying Jesus is the bread. <laughs> Jesus is the bread. <laughs> He's the bread that, that fed this multitude of you know, 5,000, actually probably 10,000 plus when you count women and children. He also mentioned that chapter six, which we're in, it's the longest chapter in the whole, you know, John's gospel. And may I say this, from the beginning to the end, it's about bread. <laughs> like that passage last week on bread. You know where we're gonna open up next week and pick up on, on after this text, it's gonna be about bread. And then I'm gonna get back up after Rob next week. I'm gonna get up a, a week from now and you know what I'm gonna talk about? Bread. And then we're gonna finish it on the fifth message. You're gonna talk about Bread. <laughs> And, and that helps us because it, it does this. We go, okay, in a, in a story that's bread, why six verses about a storm? Do you see how that jars us? Of course, we know John's very intentional when he writes and what he includes. What I'll say about this is, This story of a storm in the middle of this story about bread is there because you can't separate the two. Now you're gonna see this as we go through here. Jesus is gonna show us how to navigate the storms of life. That's, that's really in essence what he's gonna picture here. I'll describe that. You cannot navigate the storms of life without the, guess what, the bread. <laughs> and actually you won't, you won't grasp the meaning of the bread, go the other way, without the storms of life. This is, this is where the message goes. If you're not already there, turn to John chapter six. We're in verses 16 to 21. I'll give you a brief heading on each one of these as we move through it. I'm gonna move very quickly through the story. It's, it's so gettable, we'll, we'll get it. But then I'm gonna, I'm gonna give us five 
observations, lessons, or things we might, we might take from the story in terms of application. So here's the first heading I'll give you. Uh, and I choose these words uh, on purpose, verses 16 to 18. I just call it the disciples going. So the disciples going, verses 16 to 18. Follow along in your Bible. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So much imagery here. I'll tell you, so much theology rooted in those three verses. Bible scholar uh, Borchert writes this. I just love the way he summarized it. The story begins with a note concerning evening or darkness. Such a notation in John is usually not merely chronological, but theologically instructive. Darkness may describe not only the setting, but also the disciples' theological situation, end quote. What does he mean? The sea and the darkness, that's a, it's, a, it's telling us that's the condition of the disciples' hearts. It's not just he's transitioning to a new scene. Let me describe it for you. He's saying, they, they're in darkness. Well, what do you mean they're in darkness? Well, consider uh, what Mark says in this very account. He says at the end of it, he says, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hard. What's he mean? He means what Jesus did, you know, this sign feeding the 5,000, the 10,000 plus, they didn't get it. So we're going to the lab now. It's also this, in the Bible, we've covered this and I mean, we, we can't miss it because we hit it, everywhere we hit it, we talk about this. In the Bible, when it talks about the sea, the sea for the Hebrew mind, it was a place of darkness. It was a void. It was a place of death. It was a place of chaos. See, the sea is no good, no good. And so did you notice in this passage, I just read three verses and every verse contains the word, the sea, the sea, the sea. I really think this is nothing less than a picture of a fallen world, fallen people in a fallen world. It's dark. Well, the disciples are going. I wanna pick up the next part. It's just one verse or, or, or two. And I'm gonna say the, the, the disciples rowing. Yes, rowing. And that's literally what they do. Verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. The sun goes down. The story now is about three or four in the morning. So that means somewhere in early in the darkness, they're rowing. It's not unusual for them at all. So they've been at it for hours. And now they find themselves 
into headwinds that they're not making any progress. You know, and again, I, I said the, the Sea of Galilee, it's shaped like a heart. It's wide at the top and then kind of near at the bottom. And five to six miles across up here says they're three to four miles out, which would put them out in the middle somewhere on the top part, the wider part of the sea. If there were no wind blowing, they would have covered that distance quite quickly, but now they're in the middle and they're not getting where they set out to go. I like the way Mark says that they were making headway painfully, <laughs> beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Now the text doesn't say it, but, but we can fill this in confidently. When they set out, okay, to go across where Jesus said, it wasn't stormy and the winds weren't buffeting them. They wouldn't have gone out because you couldn't get across. This is the way these storms come. They actually come unexpected. <laughs> they just descend so, so quickly. I love this part of it in the sense of when you, when you pay attention to the text, you go, wait, the text does not say that they were afraid of the storm. Now think about a previous story. There's a previous story in a previous storm story, different from this one. And the disciples are, you know, Jesus is asleep and the disciples are, they're like, we're gonna die, wake him up, right? They're, they're terrified of the storm and, and, and it's highly likely that that storm story happened before this one. But on this one, they're not, it, you know, the, the wind's blowing, but it didn't say they're afraid of the storm. What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of in, this, in, the, in our text? Jesus. Hmm. Let's note this, I think this, just in terms of our own application, and there's more we could say, but I'll just get you thinking. What happens in the text that alleviates their fear? I'm not looking for some secret hidden answer here. I'm literally asking you to look at those verses, look at 19 and 20 and go, what happens that alleviates their fear? Say it out loud, somebody. Say it. He spoke to them. He spoke to them. Yes, Dorothy. He's, we just kind of go by that, right? We just kind of go, y'all, he spoke to them and they heard him. That's, that's a big deal. Fear. Jesus speaks. Next word in the text is interesting. We'll get to it in a minute. It says, they were glad. How about that? Hearing Jesus's voice. Uh, other parts of this part of the story, you know, I said they are rowing. So there's a big contrast here. Always looking for a contrast, comparison contrast when you're in your Bible. There's a big contrast here between rowing, <clears throat> by the way, which is hard. I don't care if the sea is calm. They're going into headwind. They're rowing, rowing rowing, going nowhere. Look at the contrast. Jesus is walking, walking, walking. Someone showed me the clip of the uh, cho most recent Chosen. And you, know, you think, man, I don't know the, how, they, how they would visualize that. But oh my gosh, she showed it to me. Because I said, I can't imagine. I just like the imaginative part of it. But man, she said, look at this. And I went, wow, okay. He was walking, walking. the fifth sign, right? We're now to the fifth sign in this gospel. 
Each sign points to Jesus and says, look at Jesus. Here's something about Jesus. What does this, what does this particular sign say about Jesus? We get a hint of that in the text itself. His answer to them is, it is I, do not be afraid. When he says, it is I, do not be afraid, and the other gospel accounts have the same answer or the same thing he says. In the Old Testament, you know, it's written in Hebrew, and when, when, when Moses said, God, who do I say is sending me? Because God sent him to Pharaoh. Uh, the answer's in Hebrew, but when they translated the Hebrew to Greek, which is what the New Testament is, the answer God gives is ego ami. It's the same thing Jesus says here. Now we translate it in English a little different, but the Greek in this text right here, Jesus says ego ami, which again, what is, what is the sign pointing to? You know, ego ami means I am who I am. And Jesus says the very same thing of himself. He's God. He's over the water. Genesis, you know the Genesis account. <clears throat> Genesis 1, 1, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. There's that deep, dark water, chaotic. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, right? So even at the very beginning of the Bible, this darkness, whatever, but the spirit of God... And we, we know later in the, in, the, in the New Testament letters, it's Jesus over the waters. There is a hole, and we, we could probably get into it later, I can't this morning, but Rob touched on it last week. Chapter six is, you can very much trace the Exodus. It's like, it's a retelling of the Exodus, the, the whole chapter is. Rob touched on it last week. Hey, Moses fed you bread in the wilderness. John chapter six, Jesus feeds them bread in the wilderness, right? So there's so many traces through here. And let's just note this one when it comes to Jesus walking on water. In the Exodus, they come out and they find themselves trapped between Pharaoh and his armies and what? What's behind them? What, do they, what can't they get across? The sea, <laughs> And Moses parts the sea. It's amazing. Jesus doesn't part the sea. He walks on it. <laughs> Do you see the imagery? He walks on the water. Why? Because he's over death and chaos and darkness. He's the greater Moses. The disciples going, the disciples rowing, and then it's the disciples, and I just bombed on this, arriving you know, I couldn't get another owing word. Rowing, going, rowing, and arriving. But here, arriving. Verse 21, then they were glad to take him in the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. When Jesus steps in the boat, scholars agree, this is another miracle. Now, is it another sign? I, I, would, I would connect it with, with the sign. It's, it's the fifth sign that includes Jesus walking on water and that when he's in the boat, they are where they were intended to be instantly. It's that, you know, for the older ones in the room, it's, it's the Star Trek, beam me up. You know, you're here, beam me up, boom, now I'm here. You know, some Avengers movie or metaverse, all that stuff. From the middle of this storm in the middle, 
of the top end of the sea, he's in and they're where they are supposed to be. It's, it's a, that's the story, you know. What a story. What does it mean? Let's ask the question again. Why this story about a storm in the middle of a chapter that's all about bread? Let me give you five lessons, observations. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust the spirit to, to, to give you what you need, okay? And it could be one or more of these. There's so many, so many. I, I usually would just do three, you know, just from a communication standpoint, but I'm gonna give you five quickly. Number one, following Jesus will put you in his storm. So, follow, okay, so let me get this straight. I'm gonna follow Jesus, and because I'm following Jesus, I'm gonna go into a storm? Yeah, yeah. So, if you're new to fellowship, you know, our mission as a church, just hear me on this, because I don't want you to feel bait and switched if you go to an intro class. Our mission is to follow Jesus with our whole heart and then help others do the same. And if, if you're tracking with me, you're going then, wait, 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 you're actually saying you wanna, you wanna go into storms and you want other people to go into storms. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the story says. You may wanna deregister from the intro class. I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> Matthew and Mark's account, listen to what it says. Immediately, he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Don't miss this. And don't miss this in your own storm. The reason they're in this boat, rowing their guts out and getting nowhere is because Jesus sent them into it. He has reasons, you all, we may never know. We may never know. Sometimes, sometimes there, we, we do know. Sometimes we get a glimpse of the reason. And I actually think we get a glimpse of the reason in this story that's applicable across the board in many ways. It's so the second point I wanna to make to you. The storm you are in may be keeping you from a worse storm. The storm you are in may be keeping you from a worse storm. What do you mean by that, Wood? Well, verse 15, right? Right in our context, right before we get to the storm, fed the, fed the thousands and it says, perceiving then that they were about to come and make him, take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountains and the other passages say, and he sent the crowds away. See, the crowds wanted Jesus, they were gonna make Jesus their king. What kind of, their political king, their military king. They were ready to go, we're ready to go. Let's, let's kill these Romans. Let's, let's free ourselves from their bondage and let's destroy all the nations around us that wanna kill us. You're the man. See, that they, they were gonna make him king. So what does Jesus do? Well, he, he does at least these two things, three things really, because he goes to the prey, but he, he sends the crowds away and he sends his disciples into a storm. What, what is that about? Don't think the disciples were immune from wanting to make Jesus king. 
the same kind of king the disciples, the, the, the crowds do. No, 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 that was in them too. Exhibit A, Jesus tells them he must suffer and die. And what, is, what does Peter say, literally? Not on my watch, you won't suffer and die, right? I mean, right, why? He, he, he wanted a king. Two of the disciples come to Jesus later and say, hey, when you're on your throne, how about putting us on your right and left? In other words, we'd love to be in your cabinet and have a lot of power. Not to beat up on Peter, but you know, it, when, it, when it's evident, he can't escape it. Jesus is about to go to the cross. What does Peter do? Three times. Denies him. Hmm. Jesus will have no throne that doesn't include the cross. Thank God. For if he bypasses the cross, you all, there is no gospel. There is no payment for our sin. You and I are in sin and we will die in our sin, which means we'll bear the penalty. Eternal separation from the Father. We bear the wrath for our own sin. Hmm. There is a storm that's, you know, and I'm not, I would not make light of anyone's storm in the room, but I, I must say there is a greater storm that no one in the room would survive. And that's a crossless life. That storm we would never survive. So you see, Jesus conquers the greatest storm. But yes, there are lesser storms in this world and in this life and these fallen bodies and on this fallen planet. So he sends, the, he sends his disciples away, in one sense, away from the influence of the crowd and into the storm. There's a third lesson, I'll say it this way. You may not initially see Jesus in the storm, but he always sees you. I hope this is just a point of encouragement. I'll go to Mark's account of this for it. He says, after, they had, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray and the boat was out in the sea and he saw them they were that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. He saw them. I don't know if this was like, he, he could visually just see that well, you know, and, or, uh, you know, I don't know, but what's, clear, they couldn't see Jesus, not when they're rowing and they're thinking, you know, we're not going to make it. But listen, there was never a moment Jesus couldn't see them. And so, so what we would say is, Lloyd, is that true for me today? Absolutely. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who has died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, the place of power, who indeed is interceding for us. What does it mean? It means he's praying for you. What's he praying for me? He's praying for you in your storm. How does he know about your storm? Because he sees you. <laughs> May I say it? Because I think the text does, because he's the author ultimately of every storm and he's over every storm. There's a fourth thing. It's up on the screen, you'll see it. There's a difference between Jesus present in our storm and present in our boat. 
okay, Lord, you gotta explain that. Okay, let me explain this. Because this is getting at the, this is really, you know, this is really getting at the, the irreducible minimum of why this story about a storm in the middle of bread, 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 why this storm story? This is getting it. This is, I think we're getting very close to it. Jesus is eternally committed to our spiritual growth, to the deepening of our faith, to the strengthening. He's never not at work to strengthen our faith. And if you've put your trust in Jesus and you're following Jesus, you can know this, that he is present with you in ways you can scarcely comprehend. And, and the best way, you know, the Bible puts it, and John's gonna put it later, is that when you put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you. This is the Spirit of Christ. It is totally accurate to say, because Paul says it, Christ in me. How is Christ in you and in me and in you and you? He's in us by the person of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't be any closer. So he's present. No, 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 he's present, he's in us. But Jesus, and this is where I'm using this word on purpose, and I hope we grasp this. <clears throat> Jesus wants you to experience the reality of his nearness. Not just know it. Okay, he's with me. May I say this? But to feel it, to experience it, to, to know that you know that you know he's in me, he's with me, he's for me. I mean, that's what, that's, that's what changes us is the experience of Christ. And you experience the presence of Christ in the storms of life. When you put him in the boat. So you go, well, what do you mean put him in the boat? I've already trusted Christ, he's in me. Here, here's what I'm, I, I think this is saying and what I'm trying to say. I mean, when you cling to him, like you're a drowning person and something floats by that's floating, you grab it. It's like, I'm not gonna make it without this. You see, it's that level of intensity. It's when he's all you got. Because the storm's taking you down. It's like oxygen. I gotta, I gotta have it. That's it's what he wants for us. Why does he want that for us? Because that's life. When he's our all. The truth is, you know, I, we don't cling like that when life's going just okay and cruising. And you know, I, it's not like I want bad things to happen to me or you. I, I don't. But Jesus will say it later in John chapter sixteen. I've said these things to you that in me you have you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. Look, I've overcome the world, but you're going to have tribulation. What do you mean? I walked on the water. <laughs> I'm still walking on it because I'm over it. You know, that's what he's saying. The very placement, it's just fascinating to me. I, I, maybe I get kind of geeky about it. But just the fact that in this chapter, you could remove this and you'd have a very continuous and congruent chapter on the bread of life. It'd be beautiful. But that John grabs this and says, no, I gotta, I'm gonna put this little story in here. It catches us off guard, right? Because it's supposed to. 
because John is shouting, look, pay attention to this. It's only when you're clinging to Jesus like this do you go, man, he is the bread. Oh my gosh, he is the bread of life. You know, it's, 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 out, of, it's out of this. Man, a storm. And you guys know this, you, 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 you live it. You go back on your life and you go, when are the times when Jesus felt so close to me? I, I, you know, I wish it wasn't so, one day it won't be, but I'm just telling you in this fallen world, you go, when was the time I really grew in my relationship with Jesus? When was the time that Jesus was so precious to me? I think we would all have to say, it's when I was in the ditch, not when I was on the mountain. Number five, no storm can keep Jesus from getting us where he wants us. No storm. There's, a storm doesn't exist that can keep Jesus from getting us where he wants us. It's inconceivable that a storm like this, a wind, would, would, would enable with, with just oars that they could hit the spot they needed to be. It's, you know, they, you drift off course, you hit the other place and then you walk the rest of the way, whatever it may be. But it's like they're right, they're right to the land to which they were going, right where they, right where they sit out. When Jesus gets in the boat, boom, they're there. And that's, you know, part of the sign. With Jesus in the boat, I think the point is they could not land anywhere else. Where is Jesus taking me and you? home. Y'all, we're going home. We're going to the Father. He's taking us to be with him forever. I don't care how big the storm. Jesus in the boat. You'll get home. Now look at those five, leave those up for a moment. Look at those five. There's something for each one of us today. I don't know where you're at. May the spirit prompt you to believe, trust, whatever it may, whatever it may mean for you in your storm today. Now, close your Bibles, put your notes away. That's the story of scripture. It's true. It's true for those who follow Jesus. And as hard as this, it's hard for me to even say it, but the testimony of the scripture is that in the midst of the storm, when and right, it's okay, in the, read the Psalms. This is, what, this is what David did. Like, what are you doing, God? You know, I mean, David did that. We can do that. Why? You know, we can, we, can, we can raise a fist, but in God's grace and by his spirit in time, the, the fist that's raised, I mean this, the fist that's raised in anger and hurt. See, God, in his time and in his way, is gonna open the hand. It's gonna open the hand. And that same fist would, 
That same fist is going to turn into God, your God. And I thank you. I thank you for who you are and all you do.